Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good? I don't know about you, but worship just amps me up. And I'm excited to be here. If you look at your bulletin, uh, on the back, it says Brian Bloom. I am not he. So, hate to disappoint, Brian got sick and cannot be here this weekend. So, bad news for you is you're stuck with me today for the next 35 minutes or so, and we're going to have some fun together, okay? So, I just want to start, I just want to ask a question, and I'm going to show you a picture. How many of you, the emotion that you fear or feel or experience is fear in regards to this picture? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you are liars, okay? And I know that. I know it's true. I know you're lying. Because here's the thing. There's actually statistical data about us as Americans and what we feel or how we feel about sharks. Let me tell you one. 51% of Americans that were surveyed said, yes, I am not just scared. I am terrified of sharks. So I would rephrase the question. How many of you are afraid of this picture when you're swimming in the ocean? Oh, wow. All right. Welcome back, everybody. You're saved. Good. So here's another funny thing. Um, Let's take it a step further. Did you know this, that 38% of people who say they are terrified or they are afraid of sharks are scared to swim in the ocean because of it? 38%. That is a ton of people. I just want you to think about the millions and millions and millions of people that we have in our country. 51% of them are scared and 38% to the point that they won't set foot in the water because of it. But let's Let's just take it a little bit different direction because I really want to investigate this just a tad, and you'll see where I'm going here in a second because we're in this series called Sharks and Selfies. So do, do your part, tie these two together. But get this, if you actually look at the number of shark attacks that take place, this is what you'll find. In 2017, five, five people died worldwide. Now, how many billions of people live in the world? Does anybody know? It's got seven, eight, it's gotta be a ton. Seven or eight billion people that live, but five have actually lost their life due to a shark attack. Check out this next one. The average yearly shark-related death in the United States is, say it with me, one. So why are 51% of us afraid of sharks to that extent? Let me put it in another perspective for you. You ever wonder what the odds are of me swimming in the ocean and dying by a shark are? I bet you came to church wondering, right? Check this out. Odds of being killed by a shark, 3,748,067 to one. Now, are you afraid of swimming in the ocean? Yes, of course we are, right? Because fear is irrational. It tends to take over. It's just this thing in us. I can't make sense of it. I don't know why. I watch Jaws. I watch Shark Week. I'm not going to die that way, right? Am I striking a chord? Do some of us think or feel that way? But here's the thing. We named this series Sharks and Selfies because oftentimes we're scared of things that we really shouldn't be. You know, logically speaking, we have no need to fear for sharks, especially us, okay? We live in Michigan, okay? Fresh, right? The fresh water, whatever, that's unsalted. That's what it is, right? Michigan, yes. But I wanna take it a step further, uh, and I wanna think about selfies, okay? How many of you are afraid of taking a selfie? Oh, okay, so five of you. I'm not sure why. We'll pray for you, but let's go to this next slide. And this is what it says. I named it the selfie syndrome because between 2011 and 2017, there were a total of, do I have any guesses in here? How many people died taking a selfie? 
Somebody said zero, I heard 20. Get this, 259 people died in a selfie-related accident. How can this be, right? The question we all must ask, how? Well, I brought some pictures. We're gonna investigate. Let's look at this first one. How many likes is that worth? Right? Okay, we'll progressively build up. Let's go to the next one. What about this one? This is a 52-story chimney. That's 520 feet, but it gets worse. She's on some guy's shoulders. (laughs) Bet you didn't see that, right? Your heart is probably like blood pressures right now. We don't even want to know. Let's go to the next one. Oh, boy. Parents in the room, if that's your daughter, whoo. Remind me to breathe, breathe in, breathe out. But this last one's my favorite, right? Because this is already a dangerous activity. You may as well record it. He's got the phone turned around too, right? I thought he was using it as a mirror. He's just a dummy. So moving on. Here's the point. Why do I tell you all this stuff about fear? And why do we dive into it? Why do we name a series called Sharks and Selfies and And this is why fear has this really interesting way of affecting us deep within. That fear is something that's common to all of us. We all experience it. We all feel it in different ways for different things. But fear, it's important to realize this because often fear, we fear things we shouldn't and we don't fear things that maybe we should. We're gonna dive into just this topic of fear and particularly in regards to a fear of God. Because all throughout scripture, I mean, if you just go home and Google, this is what I did. I typed in Google and I typed in Bible references to fear. And on the first link that I clicked, I found over a hundred. You can do this at home. Over a hundred different references in the Bible to fear. What does that tell us? What that says is God is very aware of this thing called fear that all of us have or experience at some point or another in our lives. And he actually has a whole lot to say about it. And so we're going to dive in, but before we dive in, this is like kind of the crux. Like this is is the important information that you need to know if you're tracking with this sermon today. And it's this, I'm going to say it again. We often fear what we shouldn't or don't fear what we should. And so why would that be? Why would we think that? Why would we feel that? Why would we experience that? And starting in Genesis 3, if you would read your Bibles, Genesis 1 and 2, it's God's creation. God creates the world. He establishes an order. Everything is good. And then there's Adam and Eve, and God gave them one instruction, and he said, do not eat from this tree. Clear? Clear. Don't eat of it. So Adam and Eve live their lives, things are going well, and then the the serpent comes along, and the serpent tempts them with this tree. He distorts what God had said. He said, did God really say, don't eat from this tree? Did he really? And then he lies, and he says, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because you'll become like him. And so Eve takes the fruit, she eats it, hands it to her husband, who said nothing. He eats it. And it's what we call the fall. Because the first time in human history, humanity turned its back on what God had said, rejected the rule of law that God has established, and they said, we're going to do it our way. And when that happened, 
sin, this thing called sin, broke into the relationship between humanity and God, and it affected everything. That's why we have cancer. That's why we have pain. That's why we have suffering. It's why we have distortions and manipulations. It's why we have evil. And ultimately, it's why we have death. All from one action. And the reason we're spending a couple weeks talking about fear is because fear is actually something that was affected by the fall. And I wonder how many of us actually have thought that through or realized that before, that my fear or fears have maybe been misshaped or displaced in my life. That things that I, I should have feared, I no longer do. Or things that I don't fear, I should. We're at risk of two things that we're just gonna tackle and, and go through today. The first one is this, you can write this down if you want. I said it a couple times already. We're at risk of fearing what we shouldn't. Things like sharks shark attacks, phobias, anxiety, whatever it is, we, we have fear. What am I going to do about a job? Where's my finances going to come through? What about my relationship with my kids or my parents? Or where am I going to live? Or what am I going to do? Or am I going to live the rest of my life alone? Fear, these things that we, we give our fear to. We say, we give this to you. You, you now own me. I'm going to submit to this fear. Or let's go to the second one, which is not fearing what we should. And particularly, today we're talking about the fear of God. Because all throughout scripture, it talks about having a fear of God, a fear of God, a fear of God. What does that mean? And so as we unpack it, I'm just going to invite you to join me on the journey. So before I jump in, we're going to be in Proverbs. If you have your Bible, pull out your Bible for me. Pull it out, go ahead and get ready for it. We're gonna use it, we're gonna be in Proverbs. Um, we'll have words up here on the screen for you too, but Solomon was the man that wrote Proverbs. And Solomon, this is what's so important about Solomon, is he was the third king of Israel. His dad, David, was the king before him. And so Solomon had an extraordinary relationship with God as he was leading God's people. And in an interaction between Solomon and God, God says, Solomon, you're the king of my people, ask me for whatever you want. And just put yourself in those shoes and just think, okay, I'm having an encounter with God. I've been entrusted to lead his people. What do you ask for? I could ask for wealth. I could ask for fame. I could ask for power. You know what he asks for? He says, God, give me wisdom. God, give me knowledge. And God's so blown away by his request. He says, not only am I going to give you both of those, but I'm gonna give you the wealth and the power and the fame and all of it that will rival any king to ever exist before you and any king to ever exist after you. And here is what this man has to say in regards to fear. It says this, Proverbs 14. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a, say it with me, refuge. Does that make any sense? I mean, just think about this. In what other context of life are we to fear something and also put our hope in it at the same time? Why would you do that? 
But do you see the tension that's at work here? Why would we be encouraged to fear and hope in the same person? And he's talking about, God, we put our faith, we put our trust, and we revere and respect God for who he is and also as our refuge. That the one we fear is also the one who protects you see the tension or the dichotomy here that's at play? And so before we just even keep diving in, I just want to talk about for a second, who is God? In a West Michigan culture or context or in churches just like this one, just like we've preached, oftentimes we hear a lot, a lot, a lot about God is so loving and God is so forgiving and God is so gracious. He's a hugger, right? He just, oh, come here, right? Just give me a hug. He's, he's a father. He's a daddy. He's just full of love and everything. I mean, just God, you're just so attracted to him because he's this guy that just loves everybody, right? You tracking with me? So here's the problem with only that mentality is that the rest of the Bible depicts this other side of God. It started in Genesis and it's a God of wrath and it's a God of judgment and it's a God of punishment. And God says, hey, I promise salvation to those who are mine, who trust me, who submit to me, who put their faith in me. You are mine. I just gather you like my sheep. I protect you. I guard you. I defend you. I provide for you. But if you're against me, God decimated entire armies who opposed him. He leveled cities with sulfur. He brought rain from heaven and flooded the earth. Our God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And he is judge, and he is king, and he is ruler, and he is in charge. And what's so important for us to realize today as we talk about or investigate this topic of a fear of God is so often our fears or our lack of fears determine the way in which we behave that when we're scared of something, so for example, sharks, when we're scared of sharks, it dictates behavior for a lot of us that say, I love the beach. Nothing wrong with suntanning. Pool people, am I right? Hey, amen? Is there a pool? Uh, amen, right? Pool people. But what about things that we're not afraid of, like we saw in these selfie people? Scaling the sides of buildings, running from bulls, these things that you should be afraid of and yet your actions show that you're not. How does that pertain to how many of us relate to God? If one would follow, if someone would follow you, follow your life, be subject to your thoughts, to your words, to your actions, would they come to the conclusion that you are one who fears God and is evident by your actions? Or would they determine that maybe you're not? This is really important. Because we as people are in danger of treating God casually. Of treating him flippantly. I don't know why I did this, but last week I just went, you know, I haven't read the book of Revelation for a while. So I'm just going to read the whole thing. And in one sitting, I'm flipping through page after page after page. And I don't know if you've read it before. I would so encourage you to do it. But it is a tough book to read. 
because it doesn't describe this fun, loving, you know, jokester, hugger type God. What it depicts is a God who says, there's a day that's coming of judgment. And every person, no discrimination will be held accountable to what they have done. That's what God says. And the book of Revelation plays it out. This is how it's going to play out. This is what's going to happen. This is who's going to be involved. This is what to look for. This is what to know. So as we think about fear of the Lord, we need to remember that our God is loving and is powerful and is, you know, he's the hugger. I just keep saying that. He's the hugger. He's the guy that you can trust. He's the guy that you can run to. But he's also, he's also our king and our judge. And he rules with an iron scepter. He says, this is my law. This is the way that it will be. This is the God that we serve. And so as we think about sin, and as we think about fear, sin has manipulated our ability to discern what we should fear and what we shouldn't. And when we don't fear God, we treat him casually. What does that look like or what can that look like in your life? Um, I can't count, literally, I I can't count the number of times that I either heard on TV or in movies or in music or out in the world or in Meyer or whatever it is of the number of people that used God's name in vain. That the phrase, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, or Jesus, isn't used reverently It's not used out of respect. It's not used out of devotion. It's not used as a sort of like honor, like God. It's used flippantly. Or in some cases, it's used to express anger or frustration. It's the very thing that God says, don't, do not use my my name in vain. And yet it's all around us. And many of us have become callous to it or casual to it. But God says, do not use my name in vain. It's holy. What about the time with him that we spend? You know, if we'd have somebody follow us around from the second we wake up to the second we go to bed, what is our life filled with? What do we spend our time on? Does the time that we spend with God signify one who is submitted and reveres and respects him? Or is it more of one who treats God flippantly like some sort of cosmic lifeguard or fire insurance. You're there if I need you, but I'm good. I'll come when I need something. You see, what we fear or what we don't fear dictates our behavior. And it is so important, I can't stress it enough, it is so important how we behave and act towards God. What about worship? There have been plenty of times where I've come to church. I've sat in the chairs that you're sitting in. And the song comes on and it's not my favorite song. And I go, you know, I I don't really feel like worshiping. I've had a rough week. I'm really tired. I was up all night. You know, this kid won't stop screaming. That's my life right now. (laughs) And you come and you, you bring this. And then... Corey gets up here, the band gets up to lead us in worship and how many of us just go, oh, praise the name of the... 
that look like worship? It doesn't look like a fear of God. What God demands is wholehearted, submitted worship. God, everything. I don't care how I feel. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care what I'm upset about. I don't care if I'm angry. God, this is who you are and this is what you deserve. And I submit to you. And if we don't come with that posture of worship, we're in danger. What's another one? What about his commands to us? be lying if we said we don't struggle with sin. We're people. Sin broke into the world. It affected everything. But here's what God says. You cannot have a foot in both worlds. You know, think about God or God's house or his kingdom as like as a house. If he says, you can be my children. You come live with me. Well, we go live with him in his house and it's his rules. He decides and, and he's so clear. He says, God, guys, this is, this is my word. This is my command. This is, this is what I've given and preserved. And this is what I just give you this as a gift. This is how you ought to live so that the whole world may know that you are mine. And if there's an area of sin in your life that just has a foothold, regardless of what it is, you can't live in both worlds. If you live in both, even Revelation, it says you're like lukewarm water. I like spit you out of my mouth. I don't like that. That doesn't taste good. How often do we treat sin flippantly? Eh, it's just this. Eh, everybody does it. Eh, it didn't hurt anybody. What God says is, no. You ought to fear me. But fear in a sort of respect or reverence. So I want to depict this for you um, just by giving you an analogy. I want to show you this picture. Um, any hikers out here? Any hikers? People who just love to hike. They love the woods. They love the mountains. I know my wife loves the mountains. And so... I just want to tell you this story. I'm actually going to read it. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the hiker. Here's what it says. Imagine yourself climbing in the mountains. You're on these massive rock faces towards the peak. And just as you reach a sheer cliff with a spectacular view of miles and miles of jagged ice and mountains of snow, a terrible storm approaches. The wind is so strong that the fear rises in your heart that it might blow you over the cliff and you feel incredibly vulnerable. Fearing today might be the day that you lose your life. You desperately start looking for some sort of shelter in the rocks where you won't be blown off the side of the cliff to destruction and finally you discover a cave in the rocks where you can hide and find shelter and gain the hope that you would be safe. So how many of you, you're tracking with me. You found it, you were terrified. You see the storm, it's rolling in. It's big, it's thunderous, it's powerful. You can feel the temperature change. You can feel the wind and you're frantically looking because it's like, it's game over unless you find something. And you find a cave 
and you get in the cave and the pee begins to dry. (laughs) What do you do? What do you do? The curious people, what do you do? You turn around, right? Don't you want to see the biggest storm you've ever seen in your life? So you turn around and you sit down and you watch this thing come in. In the cave, you turn around and you watch the storm go past with a kind of trembling pleasure. Not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart, only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, and the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such power. And in that place of refuge, we say, this is amazing. This is terrible. And this is incredible power. Oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of the storm, yet totally protected. Does that give you a glimpse into what a fear of the Lord looks like? That a fear of the Lord is not so much a fear or a quaking or a trembling. It's sort of like paralyzation of who God is and you just see him and you're just, you can't do anything. You're so scared of him. God doesn't want to be scared. Like he doesn't want you to be scared of him. But what we need to realize, and this is where respect and reference comes from, is that we would fear being against him. You tracking? That we would fear periling in the storm, periling, perishing, dying. Simple, right? You tracking? That a fear of the Lord is not so much a fear of him, but it's a recognition and an acknowledgement of who he is and resting safe and assured that we're protected. So when Solomon writes this, he said, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress And for children, for their children, it will be a place of refuge. I get it. Check this out, what he says right after, or a little before. He says, the fear of the Lord leads to, say it with me, life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. An acknowledgement of the storm, a reverence and a respect for the power that it has leads to life because you don't treat it flippantly and casually. That we seek refuge and safety and we run to the arms of a father who protects us because we don't fear him. We fear being against him. So this is what's crazy because we talked about misplacing our fear. Do you know that 18% of the U.S. population struggles with anxiety? That's almost one-fifth of our population that struggles with anxiety or some form of it. 
And so we've talked about what does it look like to fear God? We should have fear and a reverence and a respect for who God is. But what about the rest of the stuff that just seems to cripple me or stuff that weighs me down or stuff that I'm nervous about or anxious? Um, for me, and I'll just be totally transparent with you, I called a counselor this week. I called him up. His name's Aaron. He's a close friend. And I said, Aaron? He's like, hey, David, it's good to hear from you. What's up? And I said, I need you to put your counseling hat on. I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety. I don't know why. I don't know where it's coming from, but this is what it's like. It just feels crippling to me. My stomach is just in the worst knot. It's being squeezed. I'm shaking. It just, it makes me not want to make a decision about things. It affects my relationship with Shannon. I just get in my head. It affects productivity. I mean, when I feel this anxiety, I just feel like I can't function. Like it just controls me. What do I do? And he said three things. He said, you need to ask yourself these questions. What is real, what is right, and what is true? And here's the thing. What God says is about anxiety. He says, cast your anxiety on me. Release that. It only has the power that you give to it. Give it to me. Cast it out. Throw it away. Put that on me. That's not anything you need to worry about. Relax. You know, for me, it a lot like relates to health. Anytime I feel something like in my chest or in my head, man, I just jump off the deep end. How many of you have self-diagnosed yourself with like a rare form of cancer on WebMD? Right? I have like 62 of them. Okay? Isn't it stupid too how like the same symptoms of a head cold is like the rarest form of cancer ever seen? This is what it does. It just spins me out. What God says is, hey, release that. Give that to me. That's not a storm. It's so tiny. It's barely a cloud. I'm the storm. I am God. I am God of the universe. You come to me and all of the rest of that gets cast away. Let me say it this way. The fear of God is the great fear destroyer. That when we have a right view and perspective and fear of God, everything else pales in comparison. That we can finally understand and we can finally rest and calm down and relax and enjoy the comfort and the safety of God as our refuge and as our fortress. Amen. today with two things because I don't know where everybody is at in this room today but the first is this um, if you would take out a piece of paper you're not going to want to use your phone okay just trust me grab a piece of paper grab a pen what I would love to have you do challenge you to do this is I want you to write down on that piece of paper something that you are afraid of it could be a job it could be this next year. Maybe last year was a really hard one. It could be a sickness or it could be health. It could be a relationship with a family member. It could be a, a social status or you fear of loss. Maybe you fear death. Whatever it is you're afraid of, I'm going to challenge you. 
write it down. And on your way out today, if you're ready to give that up, to surrender that, to cast it out, here's my challenge to you. Crumple it up and dunk it in the trash can on your way out. You see why I didn't want you to use your phone? Throw that out when you're ready to release that. And if you're not ready, don't do it. You can do it at home, do it at work, do it here, do it at school, do it wherever you need to. God, I just feel anxiety or I feel fear. I'm nervous about something. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But you are God. This has no power. You pull out a piece of paper. Textbooks are great. You just write that down. I am scared of this. And you go throw that out and you say, God, that has no power over me. But here's the second thing I want to challenge you to do. And this is much harder. Second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to exercise a healthy fear of God in your life. What does that look like? For some of you, this means repentance. Repentance is... I've been living a certain way, I've been moving a certain direction, and so I'm moving this way, and God has confronted me. That I am aware of my sin, and of my wrongdoing, and my decision to rebel, and reject what God has said, and I see it, and repentance is not just acknowledgement, it's changing behavior, and turning the opposite direction, and moving back towards God. Some of you have an area of sin in your life that you need to repent of. There's someone you need to call. There's someone you need to talk to. Maybe you just need to get on your knees at home in the privacy of your room and just say, God, I am so sorry. And I repent. And I turn from it. And I move towards you. For some of you, it's submission that you've been living life and life is about you. It's about your decisions, your money, your job, your life, your family. This is all about you. And what God says is, no, 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 no. If you live in my house, you submit to me and my rules because I have a purpose and a plan for your life. And if you don't submit to that, you'll be robbed of that. Some of you need to submit. Maybe it's joining a small group to go deeper in your relationship with God. Maybe it's, it's committing to a study time, a regular study time every day where you just spend time with God. Maybe for some of you, if you're a man in this room, it's to sign up for that men's retreat, okay? Plug, plug, plug. If you're a man, you better be on it, okay? We tracking? Are we tracking? Thank you, men. All right, I'm looking forward to 100 signups today. That'll be great. Whatever area of life it is, my challenge to you is that you would submit it to God because it is His. Because we are His. Here's the last one. Some of you need to put your faith in God. Faith is belief plus action. It's acknowledging God. I know who you are. I've repented. I've submitted but now I need to live in a way that demonstrates that I have a fear of you, a reverence and an acknowledgement of who you are. So would you pray with me? 
God, we just thank you for today because today is the day that you have made. And God, there's all of us in this room that we're all in different places in our relationship with you and different places in life. Some of us are so excited for 2019 because we want a fresh start and others are dreading it because we're hoping it just can't get worse than last year. And God, right where we're at as people, I ask that you meet us here. For those that need to repent, I pray that you would stir and soften their hearts to repent of their sin and turn towards you. For those that need to submit, I pray that they would, they would stop fighting. I pray that their hearts would soften and that they would trust you with what's most important to them. And for those who need to put their faith in you, maybe for the first time, maybe again, maybe for the thousandth time, whatever it is, God, I just pray that, that our faith, our understanding of who you are would lead us to a state of obedience. So God, right now, we just make room for you to hear from your people. And whatever it is that we have in our hearts, Father, I just pray that you would accept those right now. thank you for who you are, for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your love, and for saving us from our sin. We love you, God. And we pray that we would be stewards of the same grace and mercy and forgiveness and love that we have received to a dark, dark, hurting, and broken world that so desperately needs it. We commit our lives to you and all of God's people said, amen.